You're about to hear a Lord's Day sermon that was preached at Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. This sermon comes from a series called That You May Believe. In this series, we take a long journey through the gospel according to John to discover who Jesus is and why it matters. We hope you enjoy this audio. Now, hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you are just joining us, first of all, welcome. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City Church. Um, I'd love to have a chance to get to know you, to meet you following the gathering. We'll have a light lunch provided uh, with our visitor form, opportunity to get to know you, to share a little bit about our church and uh, our mission, our vision, values, why we do things the way we do things. Um, but it's also a good time, not only is there a visitor form today, but it's a good time because today we start a brand new eight-week sermon series. Um, if you're regular, that might be kind of strange because uh, you, you are aware of the fact that for the last several months we've been preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John, um, and we are not even really halfway through that saga yet, and so you're probably wondering why is it that we're starting a new sermon series right in the middle of this really long sermon series that we began earlier in the year. Well, I want to give you an explanation here as we set up today's passage as to why uh, myself and the rest of the elders thought it was a good idea to take a momentary break from the Gospel of John um, and to step aside into this eight-week sermon series. And, and really, it boiled down to three reasons. Number one is the weather. The weather changed. And you might be like, what do you mean the weather changed? Well, yes, to this week, the weather did, in fact, change quite severely, at least for us as we got off our flight from Cancun, where it was nice and real hot, and then here it was very brisk. But here's what we, we mean by the weather. The weather's changing, which means that our rhythms, our patterns as a church have historically changed as well. Uh, if you live in the Midwest, you know that it's more pleasant to be outside in the spring and the summer than it is the fall and the winter, although arguably this is the best time of the year, if you ask me. Um, but you just start to notice the patterns of people where they go from being out in public, out in places, to being more secluded and sort of hunkering down through these colder months. And with that, we've noticed that there's this routine, there's this rhythm that our church takes takes on as well. So here's how we've learned to think about it. Instead of fighting against that tendency, we've sort of leaned into it. So in the summer, winter, or in summer and spring months, we've, we've really looked at that as missional season where we start to see more of our neighbors out and about. We see people on the bike paths, down at the parks, right? And we're really engaging in mission where we're trying to grow wide. We're, we're sharing the gospel. We're opening up our homes. We're doing that missional work where we're trying to bring people in. We're very outward facing in that season. And then as we get to the colder months, we start to become a bit more inward facing. We, we see the people who are here as everybody hunkers down and we're going to say, all right, Lord, 
with this group of people who is here, do something special, grow us deep, sink our roots down deep. And we have this sort of rhythm of, of spring months looking out, uh, mission, and uh, fall cold months looking in, going down deep. Now that doesn't mean mission stops in the winter time. It doesn't mean that discipleship doesn't happen in the springtime. It's just the weather affects sort of these discipleship patterns that in our, are in our church. And we're right on the cusp of that inward facing season of, of growing our, our gospel roots down deep. So that was reason number one. Reason number two is the stage life, the life stage of our church. Um, each year, we try to take a, an, a break to go back to the fundamentals, the basics of Sacred City, going back to our, our gospel identities as family, missionary servants, and learners, living out our, our rhythms of discipleship. And, and so this is one of those sermon series, really, is, is going back to the fundamentals, the Sacred City basics of, of uh, our church, what we're all about. And so for a lot of us, you this, nothing will really be new, unless you're new to church. If you've been around for a while, nothing will be new. All of this serves as a way of a reminder. Who we are, uh, why we are who we are, and why we do the things that we do. So it's a life stage thing. And number three, it just presented itself as a, a really unique opportunity here. As we've been preaching our way through John's gospel, we left off at the beginning of John chapter eight, and there's a thematic transition that happens in John's gospel, which opens up the conversation for this. And, and in John's gospel, in John chapter eight, John starts leaning into this idea of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, what it means to really follow Jesus with all of your life, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And so because of the thematic transition of John, I really wanted to, to tee up for us a, a more extended time here uh, in the topic of discipleship, of making disciples, of growing uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this is our sermon series, Cultivate. Um, our sermon series that we're starting today is called Cultivate. We want to refine and reinvigorate our disciple-making culture here at Sacred City Church. We want to help you help others grow deeper in the gospel. We want to see more people come to know who Jesus is because we are at work making disciples of Jesus Christ by proclaiming his name among the nations. In fact, this is our primary work at Sacred City Church. Our mission is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. And really those last two hinge on our ability to make disciples. And the reason that our mission is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city is because Jesus, after his life, death, and resurrection, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus tasked his disciples, his 11 followers at that time, um, he tasked the church with what is now called the Great Commission, which is what was read this morning. Let me, let me bring it back to your mind. Jesus came, this is verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission. This is uh, the great assignment that Jesus has given the church. And one of the things that I was struck by as I was studying this passage the last couple of weeks is we oftentimes see this as this great charge that Jesus has given the church, but we fail to realize how significant these words are, that these three verses are that Jesus muttered to his disciples. These three verses 
totally changed the trajectory of human history. Without the Great Commission found at the end of Matthew's gospel, Christianity would be a short-lived, geocentric, ethnocentric religion. If Jesus didn't go tell his disciples, go to all of the nations, then his disciples would have likely stayed put with where they were. They would have mainly focused on ministering to the Jews, sharing the gospel, sharing this message, and because of the persecution that the Jews obviously had towards the Christians because of this new message, because they, they proclaimed Jesus is God, Jesus is the Christ, they would, would have eventually found themselves snuffed out due to persecution at the hands of religious leaders. Now, obviously, that is not the way how things unfolded. Because Jesus gave this great commission that the gospel message not only stayed there in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, it went to all of the ends of the earth. In fact, the reason why you're sitting here this morning is because of the great commission, because of these three verses that Jesus said to his disciples, you're here. In fact, our country is here because of those three verses. Our country the way that we know it. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to highlight three profound realities that makes the Great Commission great. Three realities that are embedded in these three verses to show that, that Jesus, his intention was in fact to change the world. And not only did Jesus intend to completely transform the world, these verses ought to completely transform your life too. That your life, when you hear the things that Jesus is saying, that Jesus is proclaiming, your life cannot be the same. That your life must undergo a radical transformation. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want, I want to show you, the profound reality embedded in the Great, Great Commission, and that is found in verse 14. Oh, excuse me, 14, 18, what am I doing? Verse 18, and the reality is this, Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. This is the reality. Before Jesus ascended to the heavens, he wanted his disciples to know that he is Lord. That's exactly what he's getting at in verse 18. Look at this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before Jesus gives the task to his disciples, he tells them the basis on which he can give that commandment. It's because he has all authority. Now, the definition of authority in the English translation means the power or right to rule, command, or govern. That's what it means to have authority. It means the power or the right to rule, command, or govern. And the Greek word... Exousia, it takes it a bit further, this meaning, so the right to command, uh, the, or the, the power or the right to command, rule, or govern, it takes a bit further and says that this power or this right arises out of being. Because Jesus is who he is, all authority belongs to him. So what this really is getting at, it, three things. Let me break this down even further. So Christ is Lord. Let's break that down further. Number one, it means that Jesus is the ultimate ruler. It means there is no authority. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, that means there is nothing above Jesus. He is the ultimate ruler. Now, the second thing that it tells us 
is that all things and all people are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper says that there's not one square inch in all of creation where the Lord Jesus doesn't put his finger on and say, that's mine. It all belongs to Jesus. All creation, all people are under Christ's domain. Now, what, what this reality of, of the Greek word, the, the emphasis that that brings out, it tells us that, that number one and number two, that Jesus is the ultimate ruler who rules over all things, will never change because it's purely based on who Jesus is. And thankfully, just given the, the, the location of, of, of this particular passage, the previous 27 chapters of Matthew's gospel go through telling us who exactly Jesus is. In fact, that's what we've been studying in John's gospel as well. That's what Mark does. That's what Luke does. He's telling us who Jesus is and showing us that he's not like any other ordinary man. Now, we don't have time to rehash everything Matthew did. We, we've been taking months to go through what John's been saying. But one of the things that the Apostle Paul, one of the nuggets he gives us to help us understand who exactly Jesus is, there's a summary found in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Listen up. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, so this is Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see this. The apostle Paul lays this out for us. First he says, Jesus, he, he is God. He was in the form of God, yet he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. He came to this earth. He put on flesh and lived as a servant. And he got on his hands and his knees, and he served in a way that, that no one has ever done. He, he took on the weight, the burden of, of all of the sins of God's people. And he took them upon himself, and they were nailed with him there on a cross. See, this God-man Jesus came and laid his life down for sinners like you and me. He, he, he paid the price that you and I cannot afford to pay for our wrongdoing, for our rebellion against God. And now for those who acknowledge Christ as Lord, who believe that he's in fact their Savior, we have gained his righteousness. He has called us sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And the people who are co-heirs with Christ, our, our unifying profession of faith is Christ is Lord. This was the first creed of the early church. In fact, you cannot get away. You cannot get away from this profession of faith. Now, in this passage of Philippians 2, you can just hear the overtones of the Great Commission. The Apostle Paul is living in light of the reality of the Great Commission. He's doing, he's writing because of the Great Commission. 
And here again, we see his profession of faith. Christ is Lord. Why is that? It's because God, the heavenly father, has exalted Christ. Because Christ died on a cross for sinners. And now because of his humility, he has been exalted. The way up is down in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus went as low as he can go. And now God has exalted him as high as he can go. Now, Christians are those who believe that Jesus died and rose again and is currently living, seated at the right hand of the Father. And Christians are those who submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. And we don't mean submit to Jesus Christ as Lord in in a prayer that you muttered one time at a church camp. We mean submit to Christ as Lord of all things, as Lord of all things in your life. Life, your whole life rendered unto Christ, laid down before him. Your, your, your heart, your mind, your body is under Christ's reign. Everything about you is influenced by the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. Your lifestyle under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Your sexuality under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Your finances, your time, your worldview, your entertainment, all of these things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is, if we would have been in John 8 this, today, we would have heard Jesus say that if you abide in my word, if you, if you hear my voice, my authority through the scriptures, then you are truly my disciples. If you hear my word and obey it, then you're truly my disciple. Now, we become disciples of Jesus instantaneously. The moment our faith is placed in Jesus, we become disciples of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that all of the day-to-day stuff, all of this this lifestyle, sexuality, all of the stuff, it doesn't mean that it automatically, it's not like a spell checker, like you type in a wrong word and, and Siri automatically fixes for it. That's not how it works. Though we automatically or instantaneously become a disciple of Jesus Christ in the moment of faith, discipleship is the lifelong process of increasingly submitting all of your life to Jesus Christ. This can't be done in a 12-week seminar. This can't be done in an eight-week sermon series. This is an all-of-life endeavor. So that our profession that Jesus Christ is Lord is not just, it's just not, um, it's not just empty words, but it actually becomes lived out. Like, like our, our, our lives, our obedience, our, our actions, the way we operate in this world testifies to the fact that Christ is my Lord. The reason, now sometimes this idea scares people. The idea of like everything about me needs to now become informed by the word of God. Everything about me needs to be informed by the lordship of Jesus Christ where people are like, man, I don't know if I wanna give up that part of my life. I really like that. And in those moments, what, what the Lord is identifying in our hearts is this rivalry, a rivalry of worship. Will you worship the one true living God or is there an idol whose altar you're bowing down to? And because of that, because you have to make a choice to submit to Christ as Lord or submit to idols, be it the state government or your own opinions, your own wants, your own feelings, your own desires, there is a choice to be made. Who will you and your household submit to? 
And if we understand the gospel, if we understand what the cross signifies, not only are we willing to submit our lives to Jesus Christ because we see that our true good can only be found in him, we are excited to humbly submit ourselves to Jesus, Lord, because he humbly submitted to the Father's word, will and achieved salvation and life on our behalf. It's because Jesus submitted to the Father that we can, can joyfully submit to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Now this means, if we are to, to consider this, uh, Philippians 2, to consider this, um, this reality that he laid down his life, that he put on flesh, that he became a servant, he submitted to the will of the Father, this means that our fundamental posture as Christians is that of humility. See, pride says, I want to do things my own way. Pride says, I I think I know better than God, and so I know God says not to do this, or I know that God commands me to do this. I've heard that preached before. I've read that in my Bible, but I want to do it this way. That's nothing more than, than sinfulness and pride flaring up in your hearts. And the other side of pride might sound like this, like, you know, I really want to believe in Jesus, but I just don't, I just think I'm too good of a sinner for him to save me. Like, I've sinned too good. Like, my sin is so deep and so profound, and so just, it's a stain that is irremovable, that there's no way that the power of Jesus can, can take that away. That, that again, that's, that's a form of pride. And the Christian's fundamental posture is that of humility to see that, that Jesus is all-powerful. All power is his, and it's, it's demonstrated in the work of the cross, in the resurrection. And so the the posture of a Christian is that of humility toward Jesus Christ. You cannot profess Christ as Lord and continue insisting on your own ways or even the ways of the world. There's a break. To become a Christian means that there is a break uh, of worship where no longer do you bow to idols, but now I only bow to Christ. And as you bow to Christ, you live as a true disciple you are increasingly submitting all of your life to Jesus' will and his ways. Now, this brings us to the second profound reality, is we need to see what exactly is Jesus' way. What is Jesus' will? What is Jesus about? And this is something that we see not only here in this passage, but really it runs throughout the whole scriptures. Jesus has a mission that, that's the second profound reality, that Jesus, he is, first, Jesus is Lord. Second, Jesus has a mission. His authority is meant to be pointed to a specific end. And to sum it all up, in as broad of stroke as I can, this is what Jesus' mission is. Jesus' mission is to be known and worshiped rightly. That's that's what God's been about since day one. Genesis chapter one is about God revealing himself so his creation can worship him rightly. Now, of course, you know, Genesis chapter three, the fall comes in, the whole, uh, the, the, the glory, the beauty of Eden gets disrupted. Our hearts no longer are inclined to worship rightly, but instead it's bent towards idolatry. It's, it's bent towards self And Jesus came to straighten out our hearts 
so that we would know God, the true God, as he really is, not some sort of construct of our imaginations, not a, a cultural construct, but the true living God, and that we might worship him rightly so that his glory may abound as the waters cover the seas. See, Jesus came to show us what God is like. He came to make God known as creator. In fact, if you go to Colossians 1, he's talking about the preeminence of Jesus. One of the things that, that we need to realize is Jesus created all things. He was with God in creation. It's by him all things were created, and for him all things were created. Now, all things got disrupted. All things were fallen. All things were tainted by sin. Jesus comes as a redeemer to restore that which was broken, to redeem that which was, which was tarnished. And as redeemer, Jesus also executes the office of king. His authority, his power, his command is acknowledged so that we would live according to his ways. See, you cannot worship Jesus rightly without honoring him as creator, redeemer, and king. Or in other words, to, to break it down even further, to acknowledge Jesus as Christ, the Messiah, the, the, the Redeemer, the one who has promised, the one who has come to save sinners, and the Lord who has all authority. And when we worship Jesus rightly, it's not just a Sunday morning experience where we lift our voices together. Our worship transcends these walls. Our worship to Jesus goes into the everyday stuff of life. And from in that, it's not just that we're singing all the time. It's not just that we've got worship songs stuck in our head or we're just humming them all day. Though you can, go for it. But what it means is that our obedience to Jesus flows from faith in Jesus. The way that we know that we're rightly worshiping Jesus is that we're obeying Jesus. We're following him in his ways. This takes it out of the world, and this is one of the, the major downfalls of modern um, Christianity. It takes it out of the world of sensationalism and emotionalism, of like worship just being this like Sunday morning high, this just gets you all juiced up. And what it does, it brings us into the everyday stuff. Man, husbands, am I loving my wife the way that Jesus commanded me, the way Jesus modeled it for me? Wives, am I honoring my husband? Am I submitting to his leadership? Children, am I honoring my parents? Employees, are, am I working for my boss as unto the Lord? Am I managing my finances as a good steward? Am I managing, am I, am I exercising dominion over my appetites, be it entertainment, food, drink, sexuality? These are all the things that the way that we express our worship to Jesus is obedience to Jesus in all of these things. And the only way that you can rightly worship Jesus and rightly obey him is through a heart of faith. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Now we've seen that Jesus, one, he's Lord of all things. Christ is Lord. Two, Jesus has a mission. Now three, here's the thing that really changes everything. Jesus wants his disciples to be involved in his mission. Like, play a pretty important role in his mission. Every disciple, every person who has tasted the grace and loving kindness of Jesus Christ is intended and enlisted into Jesus' mission to go and make Jesus more known in the world. 
I've heard it said like this. I don't know who said it, but this mission that Jesus has, it's not just that the church has a mission. It's that Jesus' mission has a church. The the mission of God, Jesus' mission is more primary than the assembly itself because God is making himself known. Then people do come to know him and they set out to make him known. And so Jesus wants his disciples involved in this process. What this means here, if the church is the bride of Christ, that, that's, that's a imagery that, that's used often in the New Testament. If the church is the bride of Christ, that means that the church is not a trophy wife. The church isn't a trophy wife just sitting there looking pretty. The, the church is Jesus' helpmeet. Just as, here's a little bit of typography here. Just as Eve was Adam's helpmeet in the Garden of Eden, just as, as wives are to be helpmeets to their husbands, the church is the helpmeet to their bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Jesus has a mission, and because we are his people, we are his bride, we are enlisted in that with him. We are to get our hands dirty. We are to labor with Christ. We're to work up a sweat. We are to give ourselves to the work of making Jesus known so the kingdom of heaven would advance here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, ultimately, it is God. It is God's work to save and to sanctify. But the work that we've been appointed to as the church is really twofold. We've been sent out to proclaim and to instruct. Now, this is what the commandment is here. We're sent out into this task, this mission that Jesus had, and that's why this command in verse 19 comes along where he says, go therefore, because Jesus has all authority, because all authority is his, because Jesus can say and do whatever he wants, he says, he gives this big task to the church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What this means is that the church The people of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, are to take people who are in their current state and help them along in the faith and and build them up in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they would walk according to Jesus' ways. That we're to take people in their current state and make them something that they are not yet now, this language that Jesus uses, this, it's, action, it's action punched. Go and make. It makes it clear that the work that Jesus calls his bride into is that real intentional effort is required of us. Do you see that? To go and to make means that we've got, we've got something to do. It's like making a bed. Um, it doesn't come automatically. Like you get out of bed in the morning and it would be nice. I don't know if I've made a day, a, bed that, a day of my life, but in a world where this happens, people who are more organized than me, who get out of bed and it would just be so nice that that bed could be made instantaneously. But that's not how it happens. It's not how it happens. Somebody has to take some sort of intentional effort to, to exert themselves to put the sheets, the pillows in the right spot to make it look nice. All to get messed up the next day, which is why I don't make the bed. It's neither here nor there. Now, making the bed is not an automatic thing. It doesn't happen by default, but making the bed in some households, not mine, can become second nature. It can be, like, it's, for some, some of you probably have this. 
you get out of bed and you know the next thing I need to do is make the bed. Boom, it just instantaneously happens. Now, it wasn't always that way. You had to be trained. You had to be discipled. You had to be coached into that. But disciple making is a lot like that. It's not automatic, but the more that we do it, the more disciple making becomes second nature to us. The more we view ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ who are learning to submit all of things to Christ's lordship, but also helping other people do the same exact thing. This is why when the apostle Paul is writing, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's like, I'm, I'm pursuing Christ. Like I'm taking care of, my, I'm taking responsibility for my own discipleship, but I also want you to come along and follow in my footsteps as well. So disciples of Jesus are those who not only take responsibility to cultivate themselves in the gospel, right, to go deep and to go wide, but to help other people be cultivated in the gospel as well, that they too would sink their gospel roots down deep. Even, even when it's inconvenient, even when discipleship is hard. And the reason why we keep pressing on in this work, though it's, it's a high calling, it's a lofty task, is because our Lord Jesus Christ, who has all authority in heaven and earth, told us to go and to do it. Now, the, the two methods, the two primary methods of how we go about cultivating people are, are, are shown here in the Great Commission. Number one is proclamation. If we're going to partner with Jesus in his mission to go and make disciples of all nations, the first thing that we need to do is learn how to get good at proclaiming the gospel, to share the gospel as true truth, as real reality. This is what's going on in verse 19 when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now this is... This proclamation is what actually will transform people's life as the hearing of the word of God is preached. God works through that to regenerate hearts. So it's not us, it's not actually our words or our doing that leads to the conversions of people, but, but people cannot hear the word of God unless it's spoken to them. Romans 10 talks about this sequence. We're not peddling our thoughts and opinions. Um, we're not offering, here's the latest, greatest, human, humanistic sort of way to view the world. We are offering the, the eternal word of God, the only message of salvation. This is not simply to serve as some sort of emotional bandage to get you through all the aches and pains of life. This, this message is the power of God for salvation. This message gives you more than just a little feel good. This completely shifts the way that you view the world, the way you view yourself, the way that you see God. And because the gospel message is God's power unto salvation, it means that through the gospel message, Jesus transforms people. We, we have, like we have, I think as I look out at the world, it's so easy, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to see the trajectory of our culture. It's so easy to see how things are going sideways. It's so easy to see the rebellion and see like if we keep going this, this course, things will be very dark. And in, this, in that moment, it's easy to, to become discouraged and despondent. But if we believe the gospel, then we believe that Jesus Christ can transform people, places, and things. 
that, that the dark, bleak future that we're headed towards, that are careening towards that cliff, doesn't have to be the reality because God and his grace people's lives. And the way that we, we express that transformation, the, the way that we express this is through baptism. It's, it's a new identification. No longer am I bowing to the idols. No longer am I giving myself to the way of the world, but my life is hidden with Christ and God. And so in baptism, we associate, that's an expression of association. With him, we were buried, and with him, we are raised. It's a mark of the covenant, whether you're an adult getting baptized or a baby being baptized. It's a, it's a signifier, this mark of baptism shows us, tells us that we are with Christ. We're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's the first method of, of cultivating people is proclaiming the gospel. Now, this, this doesn't just work for, um, a lot of times we think about that, this in terms of evangelism, of like that sharing the gospel for the first time and, and somebody coming to believe for the very first time. And that's true. That's part of the Christian life of be becoming an evangelist, of sharing the gospel with people who don't, do not yet know Jesus. In fact, that's one of the reasons why this church exists. We want to be here for the people who do not yet know Jesus in our city. Share with them the good news of the gospel. But this is something, this proclamation is something that we need to get good at on an ongoing daily basis. One, we need to speak the gospel to ourselves. So you have a responsibility to, to not bow to your feelings or emotions, to not give in to the lies and the schemes of the devil, but to be grounded in the truth. And so you need to have the ability to preach the gospel to yourself, to proclaim to yourself that Jesus is Lord and also proclaim that to others because we're all functionally. Now, I, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, okay? You are in Christ, but when it comes to the functional day-to-day -day elements of, of how we kind of oscillate because our hearts are fickle, because we are sin, though, though we're saved, we're still marred by sin, there are areas of functional unbelief in our Lord where we're not proclaiming in these areas that Jesus is Lord, we're proclaiming something else, whether it's my job, my comfort, my sexuality, whatever that thing is. There's areas of functional unbelief that the gospel needs to bear weight upon and we do that with one another by sharing, by proclaiming the gospel, by reminding each other. We call this here at Sacred City, we call this gospeling. We, we identify the heart idols. I mean, you go through the Old Testament, and you see this, this cadence of people very easily drifting into idol worship and the call of God. It's, it's as if God's booming voice is going throughout history, calling to the people, this is the truth. This is what you need to build your life on. That's essentially what gospeling is, ejecting of the lies and recentering on the truth of Jesus Christ. So proclamation is necessary if we're gonna make disciples. We have to get good at speaking the truth, and in order to speak the truth, you have to know the truth. Now, the second method of cultivating disciples is by instruction. You see this in verse 20. He says, go make disciples, baptize them. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The second way that we cultivate people's faith is by instructing them, or, or, or think of it this way, of, of apprenticing them. Now, if you work in the trades, um, you, you might set out to be a plumber or an electrician, um, and, and you go to school and you learn certain 
valuable lessons, okay? You're taught not to touch that wire because you will die if you do, okay? It's helpful information. But there's a difference between reading that in a textbook and then actually going on the job site and knowing what wires to put together and which ones to stay away from. And so this idea of on the go, as you go, as you're living your life, there is this real instruction and apprenticing that takes place where we are teaching people by, our, uh, by death for Jesus. It's helping men to be godly men, women to be godly women. It's teaching, it's learning how to conduct our lives in a righteous manner that brings glory to God. Now this can't happen in a classroom. I mean, you can learn great, helpful information in a classroom. This doesn't happen merely by podcast. You can learn helpful, great information in podcasts, but the way you learn to execute this, the way that this actually becomes a learned skill and not just something that's stuck up in your brain is by doing it in the context of relationship. Discipleship happens in community and on mission. This is the way that Jesus did discipleship. It's, it's in the real everyday stuff of life where we're learning how to live for Jesus, where we're learning and implementing what Jesus teaches us. When he says, all that I've commanded, he's not just talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about the entirety of the scriptures to follow God and to obey Jesus as Lord. Now, from the beginning of Sacred City Church, we, we, have, we have desired to be this kind of disciple-making church. Our, our desire is to make much of Jesus by making many disciples. And we've set out to be this kind of, of uh, community that has that emphasis to, to create a culture where disciple-making happens. Now, it, if, if you are in a disciple-making culture, it won't always be pleasant. There are gonna be growing pains. To, to grow in the gospel means, like it's, it's, a real, it's a real spiritual battle that's taking place to actually go in the gospel. Now, the, the whole thing won't be, the whole thing overall is marked by joy. Right? The joy of the Lord is our salvation. The, the joy that we have in Christ but learning to die to self so I can live in Christ. That there are moments where this culture or that this community, that it's gonna be marked by difficulty. It's gonna be marked by challenges and growing pains. It's not all easy, smooth sailing. There's gonna be ups and downs and twists and turns as we proclaim the gospel to one another, as we bring the truth to bear on the everyday stuff of life, as we instruct one another and teach others to learn the way of Jesus together. Now, it may not always be pleasant, but dang, is it good when it happens to see the kind of transformation that the Lord brings, the way that God can take an individual and transform a family and take a family and a couple of families and create a church and take a, a church to transform a, a community and see a community, a whole city being transformed. Like what God is doing through this act of disciple making is so big that the whole the, the scope is unbelievable. It's, it's like in some ways, like for us to make disciples plant churches and renew the city, like we're almost aiming too small here with renewing the city because it's really Jesus in the business of renewing all things. And through so this disciple-making effort that Jesus is doing that. Now, this is not a small feat. I'm wrapping up here. It's not a small feat. It's, it's, hard, it's hard work. It's 
such hard work, there's no way for you to do it in your own strength. If you wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, today I'm just gonna, I'm gonna finally pull, my, pull myself up by my bootstraps and start making disciples, there's, you're gonna run out by noon. You're gonna run out of juice by noon if you try to do it in your own strength. But the great Lord who gives us a great commission gives us a great strength in the gospel. The ability to, to see this big task of discipling the nation and then giving us the resources, the energy, the wisdom to go about doing that. It's something that we can take great comfort in, but not only does Jesus supply us the strength to lean into this, but Jesus is with us in the midst of that. Look at this. He closes up. Let me just read the whole thing. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. If, if you want to feel the presence of Jesus, if you want to experience the presence of Jesus, it is found in the work of disciple making. Because Jesus, that's where Jesus is. Jesus is with his disciples who are making disciples. I want us to be a church that is all, like all of the chips are, are pushed in on the table on this. That, that our, our vision is more than just putting on a nice Sunday gathering getting to see our friends in the foyer. But we have a deep desire to rightly know and worship Jesus and to help others do the same. That, that, that we um, become no longer satisfied with like the surface level. Now, I'm saying we need to be like, the moment you greet somebody, hey, how you doing? Great, tell me how your life is with Jesus right now. Like, intent, like that's, that's not what I'm shooting for. But like a heart for true discipleship, knowing that that person's best is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have that kind of heart for people. See, that's, that's the other marker of this community. Not, not only are we acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ, not only do we recognize that Jesus has a mission and the church is called into that mission, but in the midst of that community that's living on mission, we have a heart for Christ and for one another. That it's the love of Christ that brings us into the mission of God. It's the love of Christ that sustains us in this mission together. And this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded that because Christ's body was broken, that his blood was shed, that Christ brings us into the family of God, that we are together in this mission, and this is fuel, spiritual fuel, for the task that Jesus has given us to do. Church, let us, like, my prayer is that the Lord would move so powerfully among this church in the next six months that there's no way to claim any sort of responsibility for any, any growth, any death happening except to point to Jesus in the gospel. And that means we have to become people who learn to feast on the grace of Jesus. And so this morning, if you are a Christian, come and feast. The Lord's table is open to you. And if you're not yet a Christian, I wanna invite you to refrain from taking the Lord's Supper, but man, would I love to talk to you afterwards. 
Come up, talk to me as, we, as you leave today, and, and let me share with you the good work that God is doing here and invite you into that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who wants to be known. You've not left us in the dark, but you have sent your son to be the light unto the world. Lord, let this light shine brightly into the hearts of your people that we too would become a light to the world. Would we go out in the joy of our salvation and make disciples that people would be rescued from the brokenness of addiction, the brokenness of of trying to to be good enough, to to gain the approval of, of a boss or a parent, but to find the deep approval in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you free us from our sins, our bondage that holds us back from living a full life, And would you free us to live fully for you, that our whole lives would be rendered to you, Lord. Just as Christ, there's not a a single iota of Jesus' life that was withheld, but all of it was given so that we might gain life in his name. Lord, would you make us a, a, a church with a deep passion for making disciples, for seeing people's lives transformed, not just people's, and for the joy of all people, Lord, we pray these things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 